Hi folks, this is Ramesh Dariraj. Welcome to the Semco Style Institute Shape the Future of Work podcast. Hello everyone, I'm Harini Srinivasan, a behavioral science expert and a partner at the Semco Style Institute India. I'm also a partner at Semco Style Institute, a best-selling author, coach and mentor for CEOs and sales leaders. We want to have conversations with the smartest people who can help us understand the best way to manage companies in this new era that is unfolding right before our eyes. The Semco Style Institute was founded by Ricardo Semler and is headquartered in the Netherlands. We help companies improve business performance by unlocking human potential. Our practices are derived from the lessons learned at Semco, a company Ricardo inherited from his father. He has chronicled his experiments in his best-selling book, The Maverick and The Seven-Day Weekend. Our guest is Himanshu Saxena, who is ranked in the list of top 100 leadership coaches of the world. He has been a geopolitical advisor to the United Nations in Rwanda and Congo. He has formulated and implemented strategy for 23 industry domains, groomed 350 leaders, including 27 CEOs. He is also a retired colonel of the Indian Army. Thank you for your service and welcome to the podcast, uh, Himanshu. Thank you, Ramesh. It's an honor and privilege to be here and sharing two thoughts. So thank you for giving this opportunity and having this conversation. I look forward to it. Uh, I can think of no one better to talk about brave leadership, a critical need for leaders who want to shape the future of work. And so it's indeed a pleasure to have you on our podcast, uh, Himanshu. Delighted. Delighted to be here, Ramesh. Welcome to the show once again, Himanshu. We've heard you talking about uh, wanting to leave behind a legacy of bold and passionate leaders. Seems to be absolutely in tune with the concept of brave leadership that we evangelize at the Semco Style Institute. What do you mean by legacy of bold and passionate leaders? Thank you, Harini. That's a great startup question. See, the start point of this belief is that we must pay it forward. The universe has given us so many things in terms of possibilities, chance to experiment, opportunities to play out your talent and latent gifts, experiences and expression. So should we just take that for granted by simply consuming and moving forward or do something for others who are following our trade? The answer is that it is not only obligatory for us to do so, but also it should be part of our purpose to leave a legacy. We must make things a little more certain a little easier for others to follow. Facing odds and reducing ambiguity for others is a critical component of brave leadership. To me, brave leadership is about first overcoming our own inner demons and then use that enlightenment to illuminate others, burst their fears and render them clarity. Brave leadership is not about denying the existence of fears, but coming to terms with it, accepting those fears, and then finding courage to deal with them. I truly believe that no fear, no courage, which means in our life, fear is a God's gift to invoke or ignite courage. That's my perspective, Harini. Himanshu, uh, you have changed your career six times. Uh, that takes a lot of bravery personally. Uh, but what has remained constant through all these career changes? And on the flip side, what has changed the most, uh, uh, apart from your titles? 
would you do the same thing again or would you have navigated it differently? Thank you, Ramesh. This is a very interesting question. It really evokes a lot of nostalgia for me. But in the hindsight, this looks like the design of life. But while it was happening, there was a sense of wondering as to where am I going? Let me be honest, but I relied a lot on my intuition, inner calling, and then prepared hard for these transitions. Each of these transitions or moves has been triggered by some event in life, maybe a chance meeting with someone, a conversation, an inspiration, or even reading something. And these phenomena brought me my future wrapped in some conversations. I paid attention to those initial weak signals and faint ideas, and then developed them into concrete possibilities. And to be fair, luck favored, and I got some wind in my sail. Now, coming back to your question, I'll answer in two parts. The first, what remained constant through these changes? Five things come to my mind. First is the significance. In each of these changes, the desire to do things in a big and significant manner always prevailed. My second constant was disruption. The intent to disrupt self when one is at the peak of the career and not let complacency set in and be in the cocoon of my comfort zone was another constant which always remained. The third thing that comes to my mind is non-linearity. I always believe that the shift must be non-linear and not incremental because incremental moves are detrimental for growth. By the time you forward, the world has already moved a little further. So you're pretty much at the same place where you started. My fourth constant in these moves was always a vision. A move of this nature cannot be without a moonshot vision. An idea I picked up from one of the books that how you need to create a moonshot vision and then play it out in a structured manner. And the fifth piece is called ironclad rituals. Finally, no vision will ever manifest unless it is linked to our daily rituals and routine. It's a set of carefully chosen activities that you do today and every day, and how they link to your vision is what shaped our future. So these are the five things which always remain constant through these changes. Coming back to your second question, what changed the most in these moves is a set of again five things. First, you change your turf, territory and terrain. When all these three things change, you perforce end up reinventing yourself. You develop some new skills, become relevant, in that nutshell, you get a fresh lease of life. The next is your mandate changes. Now the mandate that I had in geology or the military or the UN couldn't be the same in consulting and corporations. So you get a new mandate for which you have to build a new campaign. And thus you end up developing some new skills. The third change is the change in context. Each new move brought me into a new context with different people, different challenges and different opportunities. The best part is it kept me humble too. The fourth thing that changes or change for me is set of people. While fundamentally people are always a constant, but how they think, process and act differs from one context to another. And in dealing and interacting with them, you develop your acumen to understand and your ability to influence. And that's so empowering.
See, leadership is all about influence, nothing less, nothing more. And influence is a very important part of brave leadership. The brave leadership does not mean bulldozing and charging your way to your mission. It means having the wherewithal to influence people amidst resistance and dissonance that may have, and then lead them to a shared vision and a collective mission. So leadership is all about people in a context. And the fifth thing that changes, change for me is each time acquiring a beginner's mindset. Finally, by so many moves, you acquire a beginner's mindset, which in my mind is far more powerful than an expert mindset. Now, last question or last portion of this question, will I do it again? Well, if there is a trigger, definitely the same process is going to be replicated. I'm now in these five, six moves, I learned one thing that there is a process and a framework that works, which is vision, strategy, plan, and daily rituals. So definitely uh, it's going to be happening. And I already see that happening because the next career would be at the cusp of management and spirituality. How would you define the effectiveness of brave leadership? See, by and large, the leaders who I had the privilege of coaching intrinsically knew the power of courage and being brave. They knew that being bold and brave is precursor to leadership. Yet they had their own share of limitations or self-limiting beliefs, which often came in their way of expressing themselves fully and freely. And that's what my mandate was to make them brave again. So my philosophy is that leaders were ab initio brave, but they were temporarily met or halted by an obstacle which was testing their bravery and courage. And my job was to equip them in terms of the mindset as well as the skill set to find their bravery again in a much better measure. Now, coming back to an example that's crossing my mind, I was working with this very senior executive of a global electronic trading firm who had multiple reportings, one in New York, other in London. With the one in London, he really did not enjoy a good rapport, but his sponsorship was critical to his success. Now, whether it's seeking feedback or having a joint call or developing a shared perspective, the stakeholder in London was always elusive. He would just not come, he would just not partner, and he would maintain that distance. And that was really creating a problem for this person who I was coaching. Now, despite knowing that his rapport was not being good, the coachee was hesitant to take any bold steps to create the breakthrough. Now, this is where the bravery comes in. The fear was that what if his move and initiative is rejected? Now, despite being a successful leader, he had this fear. What if my advance or initiative is rejected? Will that not lead to a loss of face? And this fear kind of moved him to inaction with respect to improving his relationship with this particular stakeholder. As I was partnering with him, first was to establish the relevance of this relationship. And once that became a top priority, my job was to convince him that we need to set this right. And are you in the game? And once he raised hand, finally said, yes, I'm in the game because I want to do it right. So then I asked him, okay, let's understand your stakeholder a little better. I have a small template which I use called Relationship Dynamics Core in which you put that 
and you kind of evaluate what's my relationship, what are the preference, what are the likes and dislikes, what are the hobbies, what are the interests. So very good data analysis was done. So it was a structured process that involved working with data, evidences and finding common ground. One of the findings that came out in this entire analysis that stakeholder was a great soccer fan and he used to love watching Liverpool. Incidentally, my coach also had a passion for soccer and incidentally liking the same team, which is Liverpool. I said, see what a wonderful common ground is existing. How about you writing to your stakeholder that I would be visiting London at a particular time whenever it's due and expressing this desire that you have a desire to watch match by Liverpool live. And would you be able to facilitate that for me? Now, this was, this looked like a very ordinary step to him. And he was wondering whether it will work or not. But somehow we prevailed and convinced. And he wrote that mail. Now, you have no idea. In less than 24 hours, he got a beautiful response from him. He said, oh, I did not know that you enjoy the similar passion. So we have these matches commencing in November. And why don't you plan your trip at that time? And let's spend a whole day on these things. Now, see how the tide turned. A relationship which was not on talking terms, which was filled with apprehensions, suddenly found a common ground. And when this guy went, he took his day off and two of them went to watch the match, steak, some drinks, and the whole day was phenomenal. The ice was broken and all the apprehensions melted away. So this one story cropped up in my mind, Harini, when you asked this question. Uh, Himanshu, uh, could you l- tell us a little more about uh, the Center of uh, Strategic Mindset? Sure, Ramesh. Let me take you to the genesis of CUSM. So in my previous organizations, I was responsible for choosing and developing 300 leaders, top leaders, out of a pool of 3,000 leaders. It was a, one of the biggest leadership transformation journey that I have been part of, that I anchored. Now, when you're doing such projects, you end up reading a lot and you end up doing your research, research a lot. And then I started reading about some of the greatest leaders of all time. I started with Jamshedji Tata and then went up to Elon Musk and prepared a research document, which later on I presented to Tuck School of Business in Harvard Business School. One thing which I found that these leaders really created an impact on the GDP of their country and context. They were really strategic. And I was thinking if there could be more people who could have that kind of strategic mindset, their impact on this world would be far better and world will be a better place to live. So that's where the genesis of CUSM happened. Now, CUSM or Center of Strategic Mindset is an ideology that focuses on grooming strategic minds. We are a boutique consulting transformation firm that operates in six core disciplines, strategy and culture, leadership development, executive coaching, design thinking and innovation, purpose and transformation, and finally, mindfulness and well-being. So people often ask what business we are in, and I say, we are in the business of inspiring and transforming. And we believe if people, if we can enable people to become strategic and acquire strategic mindset, 
they can deliver a bold and exponential impact. He came up with a little definition that strategic mindset is a mindset that envisions a big picture, influences stakeholders, inspires teams to execute boldly and impact customers and end users. It galvanizes the community of people to establish some kind of a framework for positive change. The mindset has this creative confidence to make a dent in the universe by creating more opportunities, impacting GDP, and serving the society in unprecedented ways. So that became mission, and the mission of uh, COSM is to groom strategic minds who can deliver a bold business impact, Ramesh. Himanshu, a little while ago, you spoke about gathering compelling triggers to inspire personal change. Uh, of the several triggers that you have noticed in your experience, which are the triggers that you find most effective? And again, I would love to hear some examples, some stories. See, the triggers which I found most effective came from people and conversations. The people who I met, who I looked up to, who are great personal brand and thought leaders in the space, or who simply came in my life at the right time at right place. The another set of triggers often came from the books that I read. So I coined this little line, which I'm going to share with you. Two things can change the course of your life. The books that you read and the people that you meet. As a child, I was a dreamer and I used to dream a lot. So visualization, dreaming, and having this creative dissatisfaction also brought compelling triggers for future. Now talking about stories, all the career changes actually got inspired by meeting someone or listening or watching a conversation. So my moving from geology to military was a chance encounter with two young captains who I met in Rajdhani Express in 1986. They were dressed in olive green. I got down, I was fascinated by them. So I walked up to them and I said, who are you and how does one become like you? Uh, they had their own story and they said, they gave me, okay, how did they actually go there? And they also kind of looked at me and said, I doubt whether you can make it or not. So it was a bit of creative challenge, but that challenge led me to come to the forces. In a war college many years later on, I was part of a one-year course and there one Navy SEAL guy came to deliver a lecture. Now, this guy had lost his legs in Iraq war. And then he went to Harvard Business School to do his MBA and he became a Bain partner. And that day the trigger came that if this guy can make transition, why can't I? Or why should I just restrict myself to one career? It's a life one can live with multiple careers. And that's where my preparation and pursuit began for planning my third career or my next career, which was corporations and consulting. Uh, I had the chance meeting with Ramadurai at Heathrow, London, and I was doing a project or returning from a balance scorecard workshop. And he said, I just walked up to him, complimented him for the work he had done, the way he had built the organization. And in return, he asked me, what is that you do? So when I shared that, he said, why don't you do all these things in a big, growing and chaotic organization? And that was another trigger, which eventually led to some developments by which I came to TCS. 
One of the last which I remember of significance is I had taken a top team of TCS leaders for a global innovation program at Tuck School of Business. As a coach, I had the opportunity to hop in, hop out in various sessions. So one of these days, I stepped out from ongoing conversation and looked outside. And there was this board of Marshall Goldsmith with his uh, title, what got you here will not take you there. So I hopped into that class and listened to him for about 15, 20 minutes. And one of my friends, his name is Clark Allen. I asked him, Clark, can I get to meet this gentleman? He said, Imanchu, no problem. In the evening, we are going for a drink and dinner. Why don't you join us? So we assembled at Tuck campus and started driving together in the car. Clark, myself, and Marshall was there. And if you know Marshall, he usually asks questions. He said, Imanchu, what? What do you do and what would you be doing five years from now? And intuitively, I said, Marshall, I would be a coach, someone like you. And then rest is history. 11 years happened. And finally, today, I'm lucky to be among his top 100 coaches and strategy and culture. So at each stage of life, there was a trigger which I picked up and things happen. And Marshall books on trigger also talks about that how triggers can change your life. Thank you for those insights, uh, Himanshu. Any parting thoughts? See, one of the things these multiple careers taught me is to ask this question constantly, why should anyone be led by you or me? So I say that leadership is about three things, leading self, leading others, and leading organizations. And when it comes to leading self, I still remember those three words which are written in Chetwood Hall when we are doing our final parade and passing out. Know yourself, know your team, and know your job. So 35 years, I still derive the inspiration from these three words. The second thought which I like to leave with is learning first relevance later. A lot of time opportunities come in our life to learn something. But then we ask this question, oh, where am I going to use this? Oh, how it's going to help me? My message is just learn. Because when you go with a pursuit or curiosity to naturally learn, opportunity lends itself naturally. So that gets utilized. The third piece is relationship first, outcomes later. In this world, you can't do things alone. You need support system, you need an ecosystem. So build relationships. And the principle of reciprocity, give first, think of receiving later. Receiving will happen. Now, many of us have this agenda. Okay, why should I network? Why should I connect with people? What is in, what's the value for me? No. As you, you would have picked up from the story, many times I simply met people, walked up to them, contributed to their work, and things played out for me. So relationship first, outcomes later. And my last point is... We are in the business of clients and customers, and often we want to sell things. Now that does not work. What I found the greatest value is stop selling, start solving. When you get into the mindset of solving, you create strategic partnership, and that's where you create the greatest impact. So why should anyone be led by you? Leading self, leading others, leading organizations, knowing yourself, know your job, know your team, Learning first, outcomes later. Relationship first, outcome later. So these are the five, six thoughts which i like to leave uh, as a message, Ramesh. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Himanshu. 
Uh, sadly, we must end it here. Uh, would love to have you again on the podcast uh, as soon as possible. Uh, thank you. I would be happy to share whenever there's an opportunity. Thank you, Ramesh and Harini, for this wonderful thank conversation. Thank you very much, Manshu. On that note, we will wrap up this episode of Shape the Future of Work from the Semco Style Institute. In future episodes, we'll be exploring how others shape the future of work in their companies. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and share the link on social media. We've provided a link to Ricardo Semler's books and his TED Talk that was viewed more than 3 million times in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening in and we shall see you on the next episode.